Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, again, it's uh, lovely to be with you here this evening and uh, particularly just to receive that wonderful worship. Uh, We feel uh, starved of that a little bit at the moment. So that was a really, really special Well, right through the Gospels, we read of many people who encounter Jesus for the first time. We read about him talking to great crowds of people, people thronging to to, to catch a glimpse of him, to, to, to listen to him, to touch him, to be healed by him. Uh, But I don't know about you, but the moments that capture my attention in particular are the moments when Jesus stops and talks one to one when he engages with just one other person. And we're allowed, as it were, to sort of listen in on their conversation. That's what we're doing when we're reading these gospel stories very often. We're listening in on the conversation that's going on. And now, I don't know what you're like um, in, on public transport when you're sitting or standing in close proximity to absolute strangers. And they're having a conversation, you know, usually on their mobile. And we either shut it out, don't we? We're in our own sort of zone. Or we can't help listening in, you know, picking up snippets of their conversation. You know, it can be fascinating. And um, I was on a train um, a while back, must have been a while back because it was before lockdown. um, And I was sitting opposite uh, across the table from a young woman who was on her mobile deep in conversation. And I'm afraid I just couldn't help sort of just listening in. And she was obviously talking to her boyfriend. And he'd obviously been a naughty boy. There was something wrong. And it was quite an intense conversation. And she was a bit upset. And I could tell, but I could tell, you know, they were sort of trying hard to work it out between them. And I was actually quite impressed with how she was speaking to him. Um, and, um, but, but then suddenly she said, look, I, I'm really sorry, but I don't think we can move on from here. Um, you know, I think this is the end of the road for us, she said to him. And I, I, I couldn't help myself, but I found myself saying out loud, oh, no. <laughs> and she sort of looked up a little bit surprised, as you can imagine. And she said to her boyfriend, well, there's a lady sitting opposite me who obviously feels we shouldn't break up. <laughs> anyway, we're given permission to listen in on conversations Jesus has with many different people. He just picks out a person in the crowd whether it's, I don't know, Zacchaeus up a tree or a blind man by the side of the road, a fisherman, a tax collector, random people, random moments, it seems. But of course, there's nothing random about how Jesus went about his ministry. These moments are telling us something very important about Jesus. Personal encounters matter to him. It's not about the crowds. It's not about the numbers. It's about every individual. Jesus is ready to meet, ready to talk to all sorts of people. And he gives each one equal attention, 
equal concern and equal challenge. And I don't think it's any coincidence that we have recorded here in these two adjacent chapters two very different encounters with Jesus. The first with a man called Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a, a, a member of the Jewish ruling council, educated, influential, religious, and respectable. A dramatic contrast with the woman in the next chapter. Unschooled, unimportant, friendless, and of dubious morals. She, she's not even given a name. These two encounters, I believe, are put alongside each other to show us that Jesus is ready to meet, ready to talk to all sorts of people. And he treats the man of influence and this unknown woman with equal concern, equal attention, and equal challenge. Jesus is no respecter of persons. The world likes to put us in categories, but Jesus gives us equal favor because we're all coming from the same place. We all need a savior. And isn't this a good reminder for us today as we interact with different people, not to be blinded or intimidated by wealth or, or position or personality, because everyone has the same basic need, the need for forgiveness, the need for a savior. We all need rescuing. And Jesus makes it very clear to both the people in our readings that they need rescuing. To the woman, it's probably no surprise. Her life is a mess. To the other, the Pharisee, it must have come as a complete surprise. He wasn't expecting this. He's one of the most respected members of the community, for goodness sake. This is demeaning. But he was clearly a humble man, a genuine seeker. He'd heard enough about Jesus to become intrigued by him. He has questions he wants to ask, and he seeks Jesus out. He comes under the cover of darkness, we're told. Maybe unwilling at this stage for other people to see him speaking to a man who's been gaining a reputation as a radical, you know, a maverick teacher, a bit of a troublemaker. Nicodemus has evidently heard some of the accounts of Jesus already because he, he talks about the signs you are doing. Maybe he's heard about the water into wine or the cleansing of the temple. Nicodemus is impressed but perplexed. Jesus is an enigma to him. And respectfully, Nicodemus calls him rabbi, a teacher come from God, even though it's clear he's had no formal theological education. He's immensely attracted to what he's heard of Jesus. It's keeping him awake at night, maybe. He's got to get to the bottom of this. Who is this person? But interestingly, Jesus immediately diverts the conversation away from himself. He cuts across Nicodemus as if he's saying, look, it's not about my teaching. It's much more than that. Much more than that. Nicodemus probably thought Jesus was bringing some new wisdom, some, some new enlightenment. But Jesus says, no, no, Nicodemus. What you need is life, new life. And he uses this strange and confusing phrase, you must be born again. Now, I wonder how many of us have thought to ourselves at some point in our lives, I wish I could start over again, you know, or at least I wish I could turn the clock back. 
We've made a bad decision or we've said or done something we regret. And we wish we could turn back time. But of course, none of us can start again. There's no rewinding of the clock, as we're all too aware. But the strange thing is, when it comes to our relationship with the God who made us, Jesus tells us here that we absolutely have to start again. We must be born again, he says. Now, the term born again has gathered bad press over the years. It's often been linked to some sort of narrow, narrow, wacky, emotional, fringe type of Christianity, which sensible people dismiss by saying, look, I'm a Christian, but not one of those born again types. But here, here we see its origin in the very words of Jesus, who tells us that to be reborn is an absolute necessity in the Christian life, not an optional extra. It's a non-negotiable. And there could be no one more shocked than the man in the passage, Nicodemus. He finds it as confusing as the rest of us. How can we possibly experience being born again when we've already been born from a mother's womb? So Jesus explains, doesn't he? We must all be born twice. Yes, firstly, in the natural world, flesh giving birth to flesh. And secondly, in the supernatural, spirit giving birth to spirit. We're all given as a gift of God, a natural birth that gives us life. But to find true life, life in the spirit, we need to ask for a supernatural birth that will give us eternal life. And this second birth is as much a gift as the first one. We can't do it for ourselves. And that's why Jesus speaks of it in the passive tense. You must be born again. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We, work, we can't work for it. We'll, we'll never merit it. I mean, every religion in the world begins with the three letters M-E-R. And every one of them ends with the two letters, IT, merit, good works, earning it. Except the Christian faith. Faith in Jesus alone ends with two other letters, CY, mercy. It's an unearned, unwarranted, undeserved, unmerited gift. Now, at that moment, maybe there was an evening breeze that blew on their conversation. And Jesus explains, look, the wind, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it came from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born from the Spirit. Jesus is saying, look, I understand why you're so puzzled, Nicodemus. The action of God is as puzzling as the wind. You can't always see what's happening in your own life or other people's. There's a mystery about it. But at the same time, Nicodemus, you really shouldn't be surprised that God works like that. He's not your servant. He's not at your beck and call. You can't predict or direct what God should do. It's not at your command. It's all of God. So he says, you know, Nicodemus, great man that you are, you must realize it's vital that you're born again. And it's the same for each one of us today. 
We can't control how God works. But when we recognize and accept God's rule over our lives, we can each ask him, can't we, for his rebirth. And when we do that, we'll find that the spirit comes unexpectedly and powerfully to change us. And the spirit changes us often in imperceptible but insistent ways. He comes and he, he rearranges our priorities. He, he sharpens our conscience. He gives us new aspirations, new motivations. He gives us a fresh perspective on our life. And he gives us a confidence and certainty about the future. Now, at this point, we'll leave Nicodemus for a while and take a look at the woman in this next chapter. We're told at the beginning of this story that Jesus had to, he he needed to go through Samaria. He had a purpose to fulfill, and it seems that it required him to travel through Samaria and talk to a woman gathering water as well. And there are a few things that should immediately surprise us with this encounter. First, she's fetching water, we're told, at the sixth hour, which would have been midday when the sun was at its height. Now, that was not the time of day to be walking a long way out of town and back again with a heavy pot of water on your head. This is odd. Secondly, she was on her own. When fetching water for the women was a a communal activity in those days. They would have gone out to the well together and there would have been gossip and, and banter together. You wonder if she'd been ostracized because of her lifestyle. And thirdly, a man... Clearly a rabbi, a Jew, starts up a conversation with her, a Samaritan woman. Now that was unheard of. Jews and Samaritans just didn't, didn't mix. They didn't talk to each other. Not after centuries before when the Samaritans took over a central part of their country. And it's a rather curious conversation between the two of them. This woman is feisty. I mean, talk about character. She displays impatience mockery, flippancy, evasion, a touch of flattery, and a red herring, all in this one conversation. And she doesn't make it easy for him. She's suspicious, and she's guarded. It starts out, of course, simply enough. Jesus asks her for a drink. Simple request, but she's not having any of it, bless her. How come you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? She falls back, do you see, on all the old, well-worn suspicions and divisions of the time. But Jesus won't be trapped by social conventions. He can't be done with any of that nonsense. He ignores all gender taboos, all racial, cultural, and religious divisions. He crosses every barrier to meet this woman and gets straight to the point. If you knew who I really was, he says, and what a gift I'm offering you... It would be you asking me for water. And in a sense, the whole of this encounter hinges on that one sentence. Jesus is essentially saying to her, if you realize that I am the giver of life itself, you'd be asking me for water and not just any water, this thing, living water. But the woman, even in not so many words, is also saying to Jesus, but if you knew who I really was, if you knew my history, if you knew what I was really like, you wouldn't be talking to me at all. And so she puts up a front. 
She's used to hiding. She's good at this. Oh, yes, she says. And how are you going to get this water when you don't even have a bucket? But, of course, Jesus is talking about something quite different. Something for which all the water on earth is just a, a signpost, a pointer. The water from the well will only satisfy her thirst for a short time. The water he's offering will satisfy her completely. Living water, spiritual water, that will quench the thirst none of her six relationships have been able to satisfy. Living water, and it's the most wonderful picture that you get here. Living water that will be like a spring bubbling up inside of her, meeting her deepest needs, giving her hope that things can be different, giving her strength to break free from this cycle of lies that have kept her trapped for so long, changing everything about her life. If you drink the water I give you, Jesus says, you'll never thirst again. He's saying that what he has to offer is the only thing that will give her life. The only thing that will give her life and our lives deep soul satisfaction. A satisfaction that doesn't, doesn't simply depend on what's happening around us. I mean, what do we think will make us really happy? It's a good question to ask ourselves sometimes and to ask other people. What do you think will give them, will, what do they think will give them a really satisfying life? And almost always the answer will be focusing on something outside of themselves. We think, if I have that, or if I achieve that, if I get there, then I'll have satisfaction, then I'll find significance, then I'll have security. We're almost always thinking of something outside of us. And Jesus says, there's nothing outside of you that can truly satisfy the thirst that's deep down inside of you. But Tom Wright, Bishop Tom Wright, comments this. He says, something gets in the way of our hearing what Jesus is talking about. And that is, most of us aren't able to recognize our soul thirst for what it is. As long as we think there's a pretty good chance that we'll achieve some of our dreams, as long as we think we'll still have a shot at success, we experience our inner emptiness as drive and our anxiety as hope. And so we remain, he says, almost completely oblivious to how deep our thirst actually is. And most of us tell ourselves that the reason we remain unfulfilled is because we simply haven't been able to achieve our goals. And so we can live almost our entire lives without admitting to ourselves the depth of our spiritual thirst. And at this point in the conversation, Jesus pushes things onto another level. And this woman doesn't know what to do with it. So she says, rather flippantly, running water, running water, great, lead me to it. Then even I won't need to bring a bucket. See, she's laughing at him, but she's in for a shock. She doesn't realize that if you want to take Jesus up on his offer of pure running water, you have to get rid of the stale, stagnant water you've been living off all this time. And for her, it was her messy relationships, her desperate search for love and acceptance. Go call your husband, Jesus says. Now, this was getting distinctly uncomfortable for her. What began as a bit of banter about water on her part has now suddenly exposed a deeper sadness 
of broken relationships and a, and a desperate search for happiness. In one short conversation, Jesus has revealed this woman's life, her longings, her regrets, her fears, her emptiness. But Jesus' exposure of her wasn't to condemn her or to, or to belittle her, she's been so used to, but to give her freedom to live a new life. And for both these very different people, this man and woman from such different backgrounds and experiences, for both of them, this encounter with Jesus was a significant turning point in their lives. And we know this because we're told what happened next. For both of them, there was a very significant ending, a very significant follow-on. For the women, woman, we hear that she went back to her town with a new confidence, a new faith, and a new mission. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did, she says. Could this be the Christ? And because of her brave testimony, we're told, verse 39, many in that town believed. The next time we hear of Nicodemus is at the very end of the gospel story, when we find him at the foot of the cross, when all Jesus' disciples had deserted him. We hear how he was there as they brought Jesus' body down from the cross and how he took it and put it in his own family tomb. At a time when associating with this man Jesus would not only have been scorned, but been potentially dangerous. Nicodemus risks his own life. From a person who came cautiously to Jesus at night to now openly showing his devotion to his Lord on the day of his crucifixion. Nicodemus is very clearly a changed man. A man who had indeed been born again. Two lives change through an encounter with Jesus. One purposely seeking Jesus out, the other trying to hide from him. One with a reputation to lose, the other with nothing to lose. She'd lost her reputation long ago. One having to overcome an intellectual, religious problem. The other, a moral, social problem. Both coming with questions. Both coming with big issues to work through. But both found that a personal encounter with Jesus changed everything for them. Yes, he gave them new life. He turned their lives around. And he does the same for us today. So shall we stand? And if you'll allow me, I'll just pray as the band come up. Let's just take a moment to make our personal response. And I don't know who you identify most with. It's not necessarily the man identifying with the man and the woman with the woman. It's more about the sort of things we're grappling with. Maybe we identify with the seeker. Maybe even at this moment, you're, you're seeking something. You're here because you think Jesus might have some of the answers. He might be the answer. Maybe you're more of a hider, hiding behind a pillar even. 
Maybe you have that sense of, I'm not sure that I'm ready for this. I'm not sure that Jesus would want me. And we sort of disqualified ourselves. Maybe there's things in our past that we think that can never be undone, that can be never be made right. Maybe like Nicodemus, we feel, I'm still questioning, I've still got big issues that I, I haven't found the answer to. And I believe Jesus wants to come to us this evening and say, look, just come to me. Come to me. Put aside all that stuff. Maybe it's all the, the questions that you think get in the way, form, form, make a barrier between you and Jesus. Maybe it's the things you've done that you think just put a barrier between you and Jesus. And he says, just come to me just as you are. Come to me because I have the words of eternal life. And if any one of us here just feel that, yeah, I know that. I've experienced that. I, I've known that, that rebirth. But something in me has just sort of just drifted. Or in the words of that song we sung earlier, that feels like the riverbed is dry. It's dried up. And God's just saying, come back. Don't hesitate, just come back, come back again. And I can give you that living water that will never run dry. I can give you that soul first that says each morning, each day, I need you, Lord. I need you desperately. I need you to fill me up again. And even now, this evening, Lord, we ask that you would fill us up again because we can never have enough of you. We need you, Lord. We need you for the places we go to, the things that we do, the people we meet. And I want to pray particularly for those who feel that they're a lone voice, maybe in their families, maybe in their workplace. We feel that they're a bit of a lone voice there, and it's tough, it's hard. And there's something maybe that's, that's knocked your confidence in the gospel, something that's knocked your confidence in being able to speak out and say, yes, this is what I believe, this is who I am. And I just wonder whether God's prompting some of us to be like that woman who went back to her town, the town that, that you know, had, that knew her so well. It was a brave thing to do. She went back to her town and just said, come and see Come and see. Here's a man who knew everything about me. And it's okay. Come and see. And I wonder if God is wanting to give some of us an opportunity to say, come and see. And maybe just to give part of our testimony, something of our story to another person this next week even in next, these next few days. And if you want to pray that right now, Lord, use me, use my story. I just pray that for us here who want to do that, that we're given confidence in our story and in God's story. Confidence and opportunity. Let's pray now that God gives us an opportunity to speak of him, to speak of what he's done in our lives how he's changed us, 
how he's given us fresh start, new beginning, new hope. And if there's any of us here who, who've been shaken by stuff, by life, by circumstances, maybe disappointed by something that's happened recently and it's shaken our, our confidence in God and him knowing us and loving us and caring for us and being with us. And he says, come back. Come back to the river that never runs dry. Fill, let me fill you up again. Let me reassure you. So, Lord, we say together, we're nothing without you. We need you, Lord. And we thank you. Thank you that you have the words of eternal life. You have the power to give us rebirth, new beginnings, even today, even this evening. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.